Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. This is Josh Wander from Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh, and I'm here with my co-host, Rabbi Moshe Lichtman of Beit Shemesh. Yes, hello, hello. Thank you for joining us today. Israel Unplugged is where you get the unadulterated facts of where we're holding in the redemptive process, focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles. This is a live show, and we encourage you to call in with all of your comments and suggestions and whatever you want to speak about uh, regarding Aliyah, regarding the ingathering of the exiles. If you are stuck in North America, as I always say, on the way to the airport, you're welcome to call us at 301-768-4841, 301-768-4841. And if you're fortunate enough to be here in the land of Israel, the number will be 2 Six five zero zero one five one zero two six five zero zero one five one. I always encourage everyone to get onto our websites and to look there. It is a wealth of information. Uh, we have our website at itstimetoleave.com. Itstimetoleave.com has videos and the podcast and everything else you want to know about the ingathering of the exiles and about Aliyah. And we also have Rabbi Lichtman's website at toratzion.com. And there you can find all of his books and all of his lectures and all the great things that he is doing. We encourage you to visit both of these sites because they really have a wealth of information on the subject. Again, we encourage you to call in. This is a live show from the United States, Canada, Israel, Australia, United Kingdom, Austria, Brazil, South Africa, France, and I didn't catch the rest of them. We, we know that we have listeners from around the world, and we would love to hear what you have to say. We'd like to hear the pros and the cons, why you think or you are in the process of making Aliyah, or perhaps why you think that it's not yet time to make Aliyah. Either way, we would love to have you on. We'd love to hear from you. So please give us a call, and uh, we will be right back in a, just right after these messages. And uh, stick with us. We will be right back. To Israel Unplugged. So today we have an exciting show because we're going to be discussing different projects that are in place in order to prompt the redemptive process. Now, for many people uh, and for many years, it was the mainstream uh, thought that you cannot prompt the redemptive process. The redemptive process is a process which is on on automatic it's on uh, it's on self you know autopilot and it's just going and and god is controlling it and pulling the strings 
and he, it's his timeline, and there's no way to make it faster or slower. We know that that is not the that is not true. We know that there is an idea that it can be brought in in a, it can be hastened in a faster way. It could be it could be it could be in in its time. It could be in a specific time. But it was it generally was thought. I think it was, the consensus was for generations that the only thing that we can do in order to hasten the redemptive process is in order it was to perform the commandments of the Torah, to study Torah, to pray, to read Psalms. That was the traditional thought uh, until a couple hundred years ago, a Hasidic rabbi that is known as the Redziner Rebbe came along and he said, you know what? There are things, there are concrete actions that we can do in order to prompt the redemptive process. And he said, one of those things that we need to do is we need to find the ancient dye known as tchelet. We need to find this 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 type of sea creature that is that is from a snail. Well, he it, it, he didn't know it's from a sea creature, I should say. The sea creature, and, right? And and that and we have to find that in order to bring back a tradition that was lost many many years ago. And why do we need that? Because besides the fact that we wear it in our in our four cornered garments. That we that Jews, Orthodox Jews, wear every day. Uh, we need it in order to. And, and by the way, according to the majority opinion, we say that that is not necessary in order to, for the, the 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 strings, the fringes that are on the four corner garment. It's not necessary to have the tchelet. Uh, but there is another thing that it is necessary for, and that is for the big day kuhuna, for the garments of the kohanim in the temple service. In order to have the temple service, we need to have the, 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 the priests need to go to the temple in specific clothing and a uniform. And that uniform includes clothing that is dyed with this special dye. Now, in order to have that happen, we need to first have that dye. So he wasn't the kind of person that just sat back and waited for things to happen. He said, I'm going to I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to go. At, all the way to Italy, I, I, I assume he was somewhere in Poland, and he's going to go and travel all the way to Italy, which was unheard of in his day, hundreds of years ago. A Hasidic rabbi who only spoke Yiddish, and he's going with all of his followers to Italy, to the National Aquarium in Italy, which was considered to be the National Aquarium in Europe at the time, and he's going to discuss with them exactly what sea creature is able to produce this type of dye. And that's what he did. He went to Italy, and he got to Italy. He spoke to these uh, to the to the experts in the subject and in, in in sea creatures, and they told him that the only sea creature that would be able to produce such a dye is the cuttlefish. It's a sort of squid, and it produces this type, this color of a dye. And although it actually put wait, it actually produces a black dye. Correct. It secretes a black dye, but and it can it somehow be. Right, could be changed into blue. Correct. Yeah. It, it, need, it needed another element, correct. It needed another element in order to change the blue. He, he went afterwards and he said, okay, this is the only creature that can produce a dye. I'm going to put, he put ads in the newspaper that basically said, you know, I'm going to, uh, I, I'm happy to pay any, any chemist that's out there that knows how I can take this dye of the cuttlefish and turn it blue, the color that it's supposed to be. And he got responses from different chemists at the time. And they told them that's not a problem. We can we can add a certain chemical to it, and we can create the blue dye that you're looking for. 
And for years, that was accepted. There were, there were tens of thousands of Jews in Europe, both his Hasidim and other Hasidic sects, that it adopted this practice of wearing the Redziner Tcheles, the, the Redziner blue strings. And this, right. was, this was worn for, like I said, many, many years. It was only during World War II. Right, but one second, one this. second. Josh, there, wa- there were plenty of big rabbis who, who disagreed with him, who Absolutely. said that, yeah, who, who didn't... And there was a discussion uh, back and forth, point. and he printed that discussion. Yes, absolutely. Right, he has three books. He wrote three books on the, on the topic. You know, whether his, his was the final and, and the correct, uh, you know, the, the correct uh, definition or description of which fish it is, it doesn't really matter. Because if he didn't do the initial work, we never would have found the real trelet that we have found pretty, pretty clearly today. So go on. Yeah. So let, let's, let's. So, so let's fast forward a little bit, even before World War II. Let, let's, let, there was a, a chief rabbi of Ireland who eventually became the chief rabbi of Israel who was working at the time on his doctoral thesis. And his doctoral thesis, basically, the, 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 the thesis was that the, the, the national aquarium that convinced the Redziner Rebbe that this was the proper dye for Tzelet, for the Chilazon, that it was the cuttlefish, was actually a mistake, and he was misled. And it really isn't the cuttlefish, it's actually another sea creature that is known as the Murex, the Murex trinculus. The Murex trinculus is a, is a type of snail, and it's found around in the Mediterranean. And his thesis was to prove that this was, the Murex was the snail that we're looking for. It's not the cuttlefish, as the Redzina Rebbe said. Now, an interesting, an interesting historic fact to this whole story is that during World War II, the Nazis came and they destroyed the factory that produced this dye for the tens of thousands of people that wore it in Europe. And they killed all the people in the city of Radzin, all the people that were involved in this factory that knew the secret formula of how to produce this dye. So what eventually happened was that some of the, 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 the followers of the Radzin, the Radziner Rebbe and the Radziner dynasty came to Israel after the war and they lost the secret formula, and they went to none other than the chief rabbi, Rabbi Herzog himself, because Rabbi Herzog wrote the doctoral thesis and, and studied this formula. So they said to him, Rabbi Herzog, we need the, the, the secret formula. We need to know how to produce this dye. Now, I'm sure that Rabbi Herzog probably thought once or twice before giving him this formula, because he, the whole doctoral thesis, right, the whole basis of his thesis was that this is the wrong formula. This is the wrong thing. And he was now held the secret formula in his hands. He could he could have said, you know what, I'm not willing to give it to you because it's wrong. But he didn't do that. He agreed to give them the secret formula. He just told them, this is not the right thing. This because cuttlefish is not the, the, the chilazon that you're looking for. It actually comes from the the Murex snail. And so he gave them back the formula. They for some reason they accepted the formula from him, but they didn't accept the fact that he said it's the wrong formula. <laughs> and uh, and they continued to make their version of the trelet. Years went by, and a group of uh, very prominent scientists, uh, doctors from Efrat, Rabbi uh, Dr. Um, Ari Greenspan and, and Baruch Sturman, they came along and they said, you know what, let's put this into practice. Let's actually see if we can produce the dye that the Redziner Rebbe wanted to prompt the redemptive process 
and Rabbi Herzog wrote his doctoral thesis about, let's try to produce that dye from this snail from the Muirk's trunculus. And they indeed succeeded in doing so. Now, I have a personal story. I don't know if I've ever told you that my personal story about this, I was fortunate enough to be one of the first pairs, the first uh, group, I think it was 12 pairs that were originally made. And one of them went to my, uh, to our Rebbe, to Rabbi Herschel Schechter, and he right. agreed to wear this, to, to wear this, uh, this pair of tchelis. Um I got from the second batch. The second batch, I think, was 200. Um, it was produced uh, soon afterwards. I got from the second batch. So we're going back over 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was working in the Israeli Knesset, in the Israeli parliament. And one day, who comes into the Israeli parliament but the president of Israel, Chaim Herzog, the son of Rabbi Dr. Herzog, the one that this it was all based on the doctoral thesis. Uh, so I walked over to, and it was not, except it's not like a fad today that you can actually see people wearing blue strings in those. In, in those days, nobody was wearing it. So I walk over to the president, and, and I take my scissors out of my pants, and I show it to him, and I say, it's, it's, it's in the merit of your father that I'm wearing these. I wasn't sure if he even knew what it was. So he immediately, he began to cry. This is a, probably a couple months before he passed away. It was, it was, it was already elderly. He started to cry. He could not believe. He was so touched. He couldn't believe that anybody even knew what his father's doctoral thesis was, let wow. alone put it into practice. And he was just wow, blown wow, away wow. that people were putting it into practice. That's and, an amazing and, story. And, and that is indeed what happened. We, we, we see that today there are thousands and thousands around the world of Jews that are bringing back this practice of Tchelet. And again, this is an essential piece in the whole redemptive process because it is ne- a necessary aspect when it comes to the, the garments that are worn by the Kohanim in the temple service. Right, and this is again another sign that the redemption is underway because it's only natural that <clears throat> that if God wants the redemption to happen, and we see that in so many different ways, we always talk about Kibbutz Goliath, the ingathering of the exiles, and there's no question that that's happening, uh, plus Jewish sovereignty over the land and all the other things we've talked about, but if God wants the redemption to happen, so so obviously he wants the whole redemption to happen, and, and therefore certain pieces of the puzzle have to fall into place. So he sort of guides you know, different people. Obviously, people have free will. They can do whatever they want. But, you know, Hashem, God, will guide people in certain directions, which is probably what happened with this Ridziner and, and, of course, with Rav Herzog. And, and this whole group that uh, reinstated uh, the Tchelas. The All right, we'll continue this right after the break. Stick with us. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. So we were talking about Tcheles, and it's specifically, well, for those of you who don't know, it's because last week's, the last two portions of that we read in the Torah on the, on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, dealt with the Tcheles issue, uh, the Tcheles and the Tzitzis, and then the story of Korach. There's a certain connection to Tcheles, uh, the blue strings. So... So that's what we're talking about, but we're talking about it more from the perspective of the the geula, the process of 
redemption that is underway. So I, I think I've mentioned this before on the on the show, but I'm you know, they never know who who listened before and who heard this, but I'm going to repeat it because to me it's so important. Um, you know, there there's actually a beautiful uh, a beautiful video online. Uh, I think you have to pay for it to get it. Whatever it is, it's a bit it's about the. I think it's called not not just black and white or something like that, um, but uh, it's all about from the religious Jewish perspective uh, whether Tchelit is the real thing, and it's uh, it really comes to the conclusion pretty much. I mean, it tries to be balanced. It tries to give both sides, uh, but it I think it's pretty clear that uh, you know most most authorities are are very excited about this and think that this is really the real thing, but. For those who don't, one of the arguments that they give is that there is some some uh, source out there. I don't remember exactly where it was. It's in some midrash that says that the techelet will only be renewed when when the redemption comes or when Mashiach. I don't think it says the word Mashiach, but when the redemption comes. So they say <laughs> that's the proof. It can't be the real techelet because there's no redemption. We're not redeemed. And to me, when I heard that, I was like, I cannot believe, I cannot believe how, how, um, I don't know what the word is, how opaque people have to be to not understand this, the, the folly of their, their way of thinking. Like, we have all these proofs. Uh, archaeological, historical, from sources, Torah sources, that this is the right techelet, that we are privileged to be wearing the correct techelet, but it can't be the right one because it's not yet the redemption. Wait a minute. Maybe you should rethink that a little bit. Maybe you should say, hmm, maybe this is a sign that we are in the middle of the redemption. Maybe the fact that 7 million Jews have returned to the land of Israel and that the Kibbutz Goliath is, is underway, the ingathering of the exiles, and that we've won every war that we fought against our enemies who want to destroy us, and that we have sovereignty and all the other long list, and that the land is flourishing and houses are being built and, and, and farms, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Maybe that is all a sign that the redemption actually is underway, and this is just another one of those signs. And therefore, you can't prove that this isn't the right trailers. If anything, the fact that this is the right trailers proves that we are under, we are undergoing, we are living through the ultimate redemption. And to me, it's just it's just this uh, attitude that because the redemption. Because the modern return to Zion had did not happen in the way that people expected it to happen. You, know, you started, Josh, before saying, you know, the hundreds of years ago, people thought that the only way the redemption could happen is miraculously with God. That's simply because they could not even fathom the possibility of, of, of a uh, natural process that would lead to the ingathering of the exiles, et cetera, et cetera. But now we see that it actually happened. So we have to sort of, you know, understand, um, leave our preconceived notions behind and start thinking logically, start thinking with very straight thinking without, uh, you know, in, in, in Hebrew, this is a word called pilpul, without, 
you know, trying to, uh, how do you say it, uh, fit a fit an elephant in a, in a needle hole, you know, trying to, trying to force things. Just look at things as they are. God promised us that he's going to return us to his land. And he promised us that there's going to be another temple. And he promised us that there's going to be Kohanim, the, the priests are going to work and do their job again in the temple. That means all these things have to happen. And they are happening. And when they're happening, we should say, oh, that's another. We could check that one off the list. We have Trelis. The next thing we need is the Paraduma, right? Josh, you want to get onto that topic, or you, or you maybe have something else to say about Trelis? I, I just want to say that, uh, I, I, first of all, there there are great rabbis um, that still hold the position that you just uh, accurately portrayed. I know. Um, and, and some of them are, are, are not necessarily against what we're doing, meaning I, I, I had a conversation years ago with Reb Chaim Kenevsky, Zechrona Levracha, um, about this subject, about Tcheles, and he told me straight out that we're not going to have it until Mashiach comes. And I, I tried to prompt him to give me other examples of other mitzvot, other commandments that we only will have when Mashiach comes, or we have to wait for Mashiach for, and I didn't get a clear answer to that to that question. But it's, it's you know, Rabbi Chaim Kenevsky he was one of the biggest proponents of Aliyah, of Jews coming back and the returning of the exiles. But he did not see what we're living in right now clearly as Mashiach. On the other hand, there are other positions, including, I think, what you're suggesting and what I have been saying for many years. In fact, I remember having a uh, talk that I had in uh, one of the largest synagogues in America. And I was asked by the rabbi before... Shabbat, what do I want to entitle this talk? And I said that, you know, I thought for a minute and I said, you know what, call it uh, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the redemptive process. And then when I, on Shabbat, when I got up to speak, I told them, you know, this is indeed what I gave as a title, but it wasn't my initial thought of what I wanted to entitle it. But now that I'm, because I I was afraid that you weren't going to let me speak if I wanted to give it my (laughs) original title. So, but now that I'm up speaking already, I'll, I'll tell you what my original title was. My original title was going to be, Mashiach is here, what are you going to do about it? Right? The, the idea of Mashiach, according to the Vilna Gon and others, is that, the, first of all, there are two Mashiachs, a Mashiach ben Yosef and a Mashiach ben David. And Mashiach is not only a person, right? Mashiach ben David, we know, is a person. A person is going to re- restart the Davidic reign. But there is a, a an idea of a process of Mashiach, not an just era, a process of Mashiach. An era, the messianic and, and that is era. What we are living in today is, is, is the process of Mashiach. And, 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 and to say that this is not Mashiach, again, is, is being somewhat oblivious to what is going around on around us. In fact, that is what the Vilna Gon states the, on the Pasuk, the verse in the Torah that says that Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. He explains that in the times of the redemption, that people, the redemption is going to be happening all around us, and people are going to be oblivious to it. Indeed, we are living in the times of the redemption, and most people in the world, but even here in Israel, there are many people that are just oblivious to what is going on around them. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's uh, it's sad, and uh, as I've said many times, right. Let our eyes see when you return to Zion, meaning when it's happening. Let us let our eyes recognize it for what it is, and not be fooled and blinded by 
the peripherals. So, so let's get into the the other uh, amazing uh, development that is happening, and that is this week's parsha, and that is the paraduma. Another necessary element for the temple service is that we need the purifying ashes of a red heifer, the red the paraduma, the red cow, right? So I remember. Uh, years and years ago, I was working for a yeshiva and I was in charge of the tiulim, uh, the, the, the outings that we would go on, right? The trips. And we were, we were going to be going somewhere up north. And there was a, there was talk about that there was this place that had a, a red, uh, a red cow that was, uh, born to in, in, in its, uh, you know, in, in, in one of their uh, refits, how do you say that? One of their barns or whatever it is, right? So I said to myself, I said, let me call them and see if like maybe we could just come on our way. We can come and visit and see it. Like it's an amazing thing. And the guy was, the guy was, you know, willing for me to come. But he said, you know, I just wanted you to let you know that it's not like a bright red cow. It's like brownish. It's like it doesn't look like anything really special. It's not like something to really come and see. So therefore, I didn't go. But it it ended up being pasul. It ended up having you know more than two black hairs, and and it wasn't it wasn't the right one. So so t- Josh, tell us what's going on now in terms of the paraduma. We have only about a minute left in this segment. We'll continue it next time. Yeah. So, so let, let me before I do that, let me preface this because you just mentioned the color of the paraduma, the red heifer. And the story is told of another great tzaddik, a great righteous rabbi that lived in this uh, in this generation. His name was Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Orbach. And the story is told that they brought him a big binder full of pictures of red heifers. They took a cow and they, they I guess, I don't think this is before Photoshop, but they did the equivalent of Photoshop. And they changed the color of this cow from what we would call brown and changed it slightly, 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 kept changing the tinge until it got to a bright tomato red. And they they handed all these pictures to Shlomo Zaman Arabach, and they said to them, Rabbi, which color is kosher for the red heifer? And Rabbi Arabach looked through all the pictures of the different, different colors of cows, and then he said, they're all kosher for the red heifer. Because in the Torah, the different the, the the difference red means brown. It's it's one of the, it's synonymous. It's one and the same. He says though he concluded by saying that he believes that when we eventually find a red heifer, that it's going to be closer to the stream bright red because then there'll be less controversy involved in it. We'll continue right after these messages to speak more about new and exciting things that are coming up. Welcome back to Israel Unplugged. Uh, we were before the break. We were talking about another event, which is unfolding before our eyes—a clear indication that the redemptive process is well on its way, and that is another discovery or the potential discovery of another essential part 
in the process. And that is what is known as the red heifer. It is a special uh, calf that is not brought as a sacrifice, but it's actually brought to where I live, to the Mount of Olives. And over here, it is, it is slaughtered and it is burnt. And this ashes are mixed with water and it's sprinkled on top of, uh, of people and items in order to purify them. And it's one of those laws it's that even Solomon, the great and wise Solomon, said that he could not understand. It was what is known as a, a chok, something that is not something that is, is understandable. It's not a logical uh, uh, commandment, but it's something that, that, that uh, there's a lot of explanations for. And we're not going to go have time to go into those today. But the idea of, of the, 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 the Medrash says that there were nine uh, Parea Duma, nine red heifers in history, starting from Moses, uh, going throughout the temple periods. And there's going to be one more before the Messiah comes. We're going to discover one more Parea Duma, one more red heifer. So there are groups that are actually actively involved in this process. There is a whole institute that studies this, this concept of the, how one produces, how one finds the paraduma, what is kosher to be, what is considered a legitimate red heifer, wh how, does one, what is, how does one prepare it, and what does one do with it, and, and, and in order to be able to restart and fulfill this commandment, which is a necessary aspect to certain aspects of the temple service. Now, there are groups and I have to be careful here because I'm somewhat sworn to secrecy. These groups, most of them are doing this under the radar. So this is sort of a scoop for our show. But there are groups. And, and all I will say is that the organizations can, are comprised of Jews and non-Jews. Now, some people on the Jewish side might be a little bit shocked by that. How could we have a red heifer from non-Jews? But indeed, the, the story is told in the Talmud that a red heifer was actually purchased. Correct. It was purchased from a non-Jew. We know we know historically there is precedent for such a thing to happen. And it happens to be that a lot of the ranchers, believe it or not, around the world are not Jewish, but they have ranches and they have many types of red heifers. There's red Angus and there's other other species, which often are red in, in their tint. And uh, and they there's one organization specifically that put ads in I, I guess rancher magazines or whatever, however you know whatever newsletters that go around amongst the ranchers, asking for any rancher that finds a completely pure, completely red heifer to notify them, and they will be happy to come out and purchase it from them, and and that's what they're doing, and that's what they've done. I, again, I can't go into more details about it. Let, let's, let's suffice it to say that they are actively involved. In this process, I was fortunate enough today to have a meeting in my home um, with a number of these people that are involved with these ranchers, both on the Jewish side and the non-Jewish side, and uh, and they are very, very serious about bringing red heifers to Israel. We, I've also in the past been involved in going up to the Golan Heights, where we had a number of red heifers um, that we were checking on a regular basis. Unfortunately. Uh, we found that they eventually they grew other color hairs and they were they they were considered to be blemished and were not usable for that purpose. But imagine that that we have today. Not only do we have we refounded the tchelet, the special dye that we spoke about in the previous segment, but we also now are in the process, very very well into the process 
of uh, of this of of having a red heifer, which again is another necessary uh, uh, point in order to get through the through the redemptive process. So uh, we are very excited about this. And, Tell me something. Uh, Tell me something, Josh. In the Torah portion. Yeah. Tell me something, Josh. What I I, re, I remember from when I learned to this uh, topic that the person who burns the the red heifer has to look into the temple from Mount Olives. He looks into the temple. The question is, can this be done without the existence of an of an actual temple? Great question. I, I will leave that question up to the rabbis much greater than myself to decide. Uh, but what I can say is that, again, it, it is not a sacrifice and does not need the uh, temple. It's not done in the temple. It's done across right. from the temple. That's we do sure. have land. Um, again, I have to be very careful in what I say here, but we, we have land on the Mount of Olives, which is directly looking over uh, the place of the temple, um, and it can be used for that purpose. Now, there, there are those that speculate that we need to have this process in order to rebuild the temple. And if that is the case, although I don't believe that is the case, but it, for those that say that that is the case, then clearly we can do it without the temple because we need it in order to rebuild the temple. So um, right. so perhaps perhaps that is an answer. I, again, I, I'll leave that to greater greater people than myself to, to answer. But what is what I, ha I can tell you that yesterday I had a conversation with a prominent Orthodox rabbi from America, mainstream rabbi, and I discussed this topic with him, and he was blown away. He said that this, this is a game changer. If we were to find the para Duma, we would find a red heifer, and we would bring it here to Jerusalem. He said that would be a complete game changer. I'm not sure exactly what he meant by that. I'm not sure that means that everybody's going to get up from his congregation and others in America and move to Israel the next day. But he felt that that would be a significant jump in the redemptive process. We are also, right after this show, I'm actually going to run out after the show to the Temple Institute where they're having a, a demonstration of another process which is being redone. There are many, many processes. We're just talking about a few today. We don't have so much time. But uh, the process of, of another dye called Tola Chani. It is a creature, a little bug, an insect, that is only found a couple weeks during the year. And, and I, again, was fortunate enough to go out and actually pluck these from, the, these from these from the trees, and you have to pluck a lot of them in order to make this dye. It's a red dye. It's one of the dyes that is also used in the temple service. And uh, again, all of these processes are just more proofs that we are well on our way through the redemptive process, and it's not happening, it's not going to happen in that magical Mashiach moment, but it's something that is happening in a natural way, in a slow kima kima, it's happening in a slow process, but it is happening and for those that have their eyes open and are aware of it, they see it happening every day here in Israel. And that's another reason to come to Israel. But I know that there is one person that did not make it to Israel. And that person is, was the greatest uh, prophet that ever lived. It was Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses himself. And that's in this week's um, Torah portion. Right. Would you like to tell us Correct. about that? Yeah, yeah, but before we get to that, just one second. I wanted to just, uh, you know pick up on one of the things you said about the temple man the temple institute so by the way they also have they have uh, videos online of of paradumas that they've found which obviously in the end weren't found to be complete but 
you know, you're talking about groups that are doing it in hiding, but uh, the Temple Institute does it uh, in the open, and they have videos. Not so the open. They're, they're they're also involved in this process. And, I'm and sure. I'm sure. But in other words, it's something, it, it's something that you could find online if for those of you yeah. who are interested. But I also want to say that. You know, based on my question, you know, like it could be that, you know, we'll find one of these and then it'll end up, well, we can't do anything with it because you need the temple in order to slaughter it opposite the temple. So what are you going to do? But I still think that it is totally, totally a, a tremendous mitzvah to to do our best to do what we can. You know, people have uh, have asked me when, when we've gone to the Temple Institute, you know, you really think that this trumpet that they made is going to be used? You really think that that menorah that's in the middle of the old city, which is which was made by the Temple Institute, you really think that that's going to be the one that's going to be used? And I said, I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no, but it doesn't matter. We are doing our best, or they in the Temple Institute and, and, and other such places are doing their best to do whatever they can and to prepare whatever they can to show God that we care about this and that we want desperately for the redemption to come. And, and we're not just sitting back uh, on, our, uh, on our behinds and uh, you know waiting for things to happen and going on with our daily life. We are doing everything in our abilities to bring the redemption closer. We're showing Hashem. By doing this, we're showing Hashem how much we care and how desperately we want it to happen. So desperately that we're willing to spend a lot of money to make a golden menorah or or golden, uh, or sorry, silver chatzot to trumpets or whatever it is that needs to be made that we can make, that there's no problem with us making. And uh, and we're doing it in order to show God that we really want it badly. Now, another thing we can do, of course, is to move to, to Israel. That's the main. <laughs> that's the main thing we can do to show Hashem. Right? We can't just continue sitting back in the diaspora and pretending that nothing's going on. And uh, you know, just say, "Yeah, when Mashiach comes, give me a call. I'll I'll, I'll get on the next LL flight." Right. I don't think that it's going to work that way. I think you really want to be here first. And besides that, your coming will bring the Mashiach quicker because God will see, oh, Jews really want it, really want it. They're doing everything in their power to to come closer to me, to come to the land, which is obviously something that has to happen when Mashiach comes or for Mashiach to come. So therefore, that's, I think, the message here of today's show is that we as Jews have to do everything in our power to to expedite the coming of Mashiach. And if we do so, and if all Jews would do so, we would see his coming very, very soon. And thank you for joining us today. And we'll see you next week at the same time, same channel. He drought from Israel. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook. 
and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 